All right, so today's uh, adult discipleship is the final adult discipleship in systematic theology. And we're going to be covering the new heavens and the new earth. And before I get into my lesson, I want to ask you a question. In all of biblical history and biblical revelation, what are the four categories that summarize all of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation? What four categories would you say that summarizes pretty much the whole sweep of biblical revelation? I'm going to give you, okay, I'll start out. I'll give you a hint. Uh, first one is creation. Four categories that summarize the whole of biblical revelation. Correct. The fall. Next. Redemption. Correct. Redemption. Glorification. And uh, the last one, not Isn't it glor- regeneration. Not regeneration, not glorification. The consummation. And uh, eschatology fits into this the consummation. And the new heavens, the new earth is the consummation of uh, biblical history. And. Uh, so when we think of the word heaven, immediately certain terms or things come into our mind. And one of the things that come into our mind is an idea of heaven, some of us may have, is the idea of heaven that we're going to die and then go up and be in the clouds with halos over our heads, with wings, with a harp. This idea of heaven, many of us are more influenced by Hollywood than we are the Word of God. Not only has Hollywood influenced our view of heaven, but secular philosophy has influenced our view of heaven. Uh, Plato, he's one of the uh, greatest philosophers in Western philosophy. He was a student of Socrates, and one of the things he taught was Greek dualism. Greek dualism is the idea that the uh, physical world is evil and bad, but the spiritual world is good. And this uh, Platonism has influenced even the early church. Augustine was influenced by Platonism. Justin Martyr was influenced by Platonism. This idea of Platonism has uh, influenced even the medieval church. And today, Platonism has influenced even our concept of heaven, where we solely think of heaven as a place that is immaterial. Because of the influence of Platonism, it's hard for us to uh, even... Imagine the concept of a physical new heavens and a new earth. Not only has uh, um, philosophy, secular philosophy in Hollywood, but also extra-biblical revelation has also influenced our views of heaven. Today we have many um, people that claim that they have died and been to heaven, and they even has written books about this little boy has died and saw a whole thing and came back and now it's written a book okay this is what heaven looks like but the reality is yeah which what what was the author oh okay okay <laughs> yes yes so as christians there's a big word we believe in a revelational epistemology epistemology is the big word is how do we know what we know we know what we know by god has revealed to us in his word so we don't need 
extra, biblical, extra biblical revelation of some kid that claimed to go to heaven and came back and now telling us what heaven is. We don't need um, secular philosophy to influence us on what heaven is. We don't need Hollywood to tell us what heaven is. We have the all-sufficient, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And God has spoken in His Word, and he, we see a clear picture of heaven that John gives us in Revelation 21. Even before Revelation 21, in uh, Isaiah 65, 17, the uh, Isaiah, the prophet, even 800 years before John even gave us the book of Revelation, Isaiah prophesies of a new heaven and a new earth. But in uh, Revelation 21, if you all have your Bibles, you can go to Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. We're going to look at uh, God's Word. In Revelation 21, 1 to 8, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them. And they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things passed away. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cause. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my, my son. For the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sexually immoral persons and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So uh, a, a definition of heaven we can give is, heaven is the place where God's throne is, and where God dwells with His people. In verse 3 of Revelation 21 it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. In, uh, in, in Islamic cosmology, they teach that there are seven heavens. But in biblical cosmology, the Bible speaks of three heavens. The first heaven the Bible speaks of is the sky. The second heaven the Bible speaks of is, the, is where the stars are, the space. So the Bible in Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies above proclaim His handiwork. And the third heaven the Bible speaks of is where God's dwelling place, the throne of God. That's why Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. So to be a good theologian, you must make distinctions. And uh, one of the distinctions we see in the Bible is that there's an intermediate state and the final state. And the error many people make is when they think of heaven, they only think of the intermediate state. They don't think of the final state. They have no uh, place in their theology for the final state. The Bible speaks of it, but many times through our study, this is something we have neglected, the final state. And that's what we want to speak the, t today on. 
the new heavens and the new earth. So the intermediate state is the present heavens. Um, the final state is the future heaven. And the intermediate heaven is where God's people will go to live with Him. You remember the thief on the cross. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The Paul, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if a believer dies, instantly you go to heaven. But in the final state is where God comes in, down to earth to live with His people. In Revelation, we get a picture of the new Jerusalem coming down and being joined with earth. And the uh, intermediate state, the present heaven, is called paradise or the third heaven. And the final state, once we get our resurrection bodies, will live for eternity on a new heaven and a new physical earth. New bodies with no sin. You're correct. We'll be in a glorified state where we won't even have the ability to sin. And so the intermediate state is just a layover until the future resurrection of the body and until we dwell on a physical earth. But the new heavens and the new earth is the final state. Yes, Lewis. Sorry. Yeah. The bodies that you can be given um, in the glorified state in comparison to the bodies that Adam and Eve had before the fall, is that is there like any comparison to that? Or similarities? Well, uh, I think the best way you can liken the uh, glorified body is to the body of Jesus Christ. I think we have gained more in Christ than we ever lost in Adam. In, 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 and the best way, if you want to know what our glorified body is like, is the body of Jesus Christ. Where, And even in this glorified body, He ate fish. So that's one of my favorite Bible verses, that Jesus ate fish. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, for, and, you know, it's a, it's a body that won't be subject to decay, disease. Um, so it'll be a glorious thing where it won't have any defects of the fall and the curse. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah. And um, so the topic is new heavens and the new earth, but I want to ask you a question. What happens in the intermediate state, the present condition of an unbeliever who dies in his sins? They go to hell. Correct. They go to hell. And uh, that hell is the layover, and their final destination is the lake of fire, where Revelation says hell will be cast into the lake of fire. Would that be called the Shalom? Shio? Yes, Shio. Shio, yes, yes. The, uh, the, the Hebrew word Shio means, uh, means hell, and also translated grave. So depending on which verse and the context, you would um, determine whether it's the grave or speaking of the fires of hell. Okay. Correct, yeah, Sheol. Um, so, like I said, the majority of people, their concept of heaven is only intermediate state where we'd be disembodied. But they don't um, realize that in the eschatology, there's a future of a, we're going to get resurrected bodies and living on a new earth and a new heavens. And... Um, the two descriptions that the Bible gives of heaven is one of paradise and one of a city. And the description of a paradise we see in Revelation 2.7. If anybody has the Bible, can you read Revelation 2.7? Revelation 2.7. 
he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The, the word paradise there literally means a place of delight, a place of pleasure. And so we see that heaven is going to be a place full of beauty, a place full of splendor. And one of the word pictures that we see, paradise, it should immediately bring us, your mind should immediately think of Genesis, the book of Genesis, where you see the Garden of Eden. So heaven is likened to a garden, like a park, a beautiful place. Uh, heaven is also described as a city. In Revelation 21.10, it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. And uh, one of the, in the book of Revelation, it gives the description of this new city as uh, measuring 1,500 by 1,500 square uh, miles, I believe, yes. 1,500 by 1,500 miles. And, you know, some take that to be symbolic. You know, I take it to be literal, even though the book of Revelation is apocalyptic. I think Randy Alcorn makes the case that things can be symbolic and physical at the same time. So, like, just like this wedding ring, it's symbolic of our covenant, of our loyalty, but it's also a physical ring. In the same way, he makes the case that, you know, in... Uh, so if it is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, that's the distance from New York to Dallas, Texas. So that's, that's is a big city. Um, and in Revelation 21.12, it says that, that the New Jerusalem has great high walls with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates. And uh, th this is speaking of the city's security, city's protection. When we're living on the new earth, new heavens, unbelievers, Satan, and demons will be all cast into the lake of fire. The book of Hebrews describes heaven as a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There'll be no intruders, no invaders. There'll be perfect security, perfect safety, where God's people will dwell there for an eternity. Jay Bordeaux, in his book on heaven, gives us a description of the place of heaven. He says, what sublime descriptions the Holy Scriptures give us of the blessed city of God. Her walls are built of jasper stone, and the city itself is of pure and shining gold, like unto clear crystal. And the foundations of the city are adorned with all manner of precious stones. Her gates are pearls, the very streets are transparent as glass. The glorious city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in her, for the glory of God is her light. So this city, these are it's symbolic, and this is a picture describing us. This heaven is more wondrous, more splendor, more beautiful than we can ever imagine. In, uh, in Revelation 21.3, it says, um, In heaven there will be no sea. Uh, in the Hebrew mind, the sea is a picture of chaos. The sea is a picture of evil. So in heaven, the Bible says there is no sea. Right now on present earth, most of our earth is, yeah, is full of, is most of our earth is the sea. But in the new heavens, there will be no seas. I love to swim. Uh, well, there's, I have good news for you. In, uh, so there will be no sea, but I think there will still be body of water, fresh water. In uh, Revelation 22.2, I think you will like this verse, uh, Lewis. In the middle of it street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, 
yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. See, in the middle of it, of, of it on either side of the river, was the tree of life. Amen. So there'll be no seas, but there'll be fresh water. Um, so question, in the place of heaven, is there time? No time? No, that's what I think. You think there's no time? Anybody else? But the song said there would be no night there. So if there's no night, then you cannot come in hand. Anne-Marie? I was thinking Scripture says that God's time is not our time. So that there will be time, but it's not as we know it. Mm. Um. Cornelius Van Til, he was a theologian from Old Princeton. And he said, to be a good theologian, you must keep these two things in mind. Creator, creature, distinction. Um, God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. But we're, we're creatures. We're finite. We're not immutable. We change. And um, in heaven... This is important to consider. This creator-creature distinction in heaven is not going to be blurred. We will always remain creature. We will never be deified. And that's important to keep in mind as we think of heaven. So even when the, when the scripture says that we will be made in the image of... You know, I said when we will be conformed to the image of Christ, it's, it's important to, to identify the image is different. From being uh, dignified, like you said. Very, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, very important, yeah. But we're creating God's image doesn't mean that we're God. We can share His... There's, in theology, there's a communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes of God is things like immutability. In Malachi, it says, I am the Lord, I never change. But we change every day. Right? Yesterday, you know, you know, I was once 20 years old, and now I'm not 20 years old no more. Ian, he, uh, as he ages, he, you know, gets more hair. He's talking now. He's eating more. Um, so, as humans, we grow, we change. So, so there's always going to be boundaries. So, it is going to be There's boundaries. always going to be boundaries, like in terms of being who God is. He's of knowledge. He has all knowledge. He's omniscient. He's present at all time. And our boundaries is basically what we are created as a creature because we can never take God's place. It's not meant for us to be in a in a, in God's position. We never want us to be in that form. In, very good, sister. Yeah, God is omniscient, all-knowing, but we're finite in knowledge. That's why for eternity of eternities, we're going to be learning about who God is. Eternity, that's why heaven won't be a boring place because God is infinite and for an eternity, attorneys will grow in our knowledge of God. Question. Yes. The reality of the new heaven, the new earth, does it fall under the category of something that God created? Or in that way, it's confined to the, the reality of time? Or does it fall under the category of creator? Or it's, uh, yeah. it, it, God and God alone is the creator. And everything outside of that is creation. So that would fall under the category of creation. And then, because we are creation, we have space-time limitations. And um, 
And uh, and I'm going to, sh- if you have your Bibles, read Revelation 6, 10, 11. These are the martyrs, and they, you know, um, these are the martyrs, and they say, and they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told, to wait a little longer until the full number of their uh, fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. If you have your Bibles, turn to now Revelations 8.1. Revelations 8.1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about and half an hour. Uh, and then Revelation 22.2. It says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. So they wouldn't have these categories every month, half an hour, if there was no, because we're creatures, we're bound by time and space. Where God is infinite, God is eternal, and God is unchangeable. Any questions, Jivan? Yeah. Since there. As a creature-creator distinction, um, what does it mean to be in union with Christ, and how does that affect? Uh, how, how do we how do we use the creator-creature distinction to defend against the Eastern Orthodox belief of theosis and that well, would the, part of the divine? Well, the uh, Eastern Orthodox, even though their terminology might say you know you're becoming like God, they don't actually mean you're going to be deified. They don't, uh, that, because that would be heretical. The, but the Church of Mormon teaches we're going to be gods one day on other planets. Yeah. So, so what is the theosis in the Eastern Orthodox Church? It would be uh, similar to uh, what we believe as glorification. That we would, you know, resemble the image of God. Um, and today, even, you know, the, a more godly Christian will resemble more of, you know, God, godliness, which is godlikeness, of being loving. These are God's communicable attributes, being kind, being just, being wise. Those are the attributes of God that we share to a certain degree with God. But there are certain incommunicable attributes that we will never share because God and God alone, He is God. Those are the benefits of the fruit of the Spirit that we, that we experience right as believers. Right, right. The more, yeah, the more you yield to God's Spirit, the more the God's fruit will bear in your life. But, uh, yes, Anthony. I was going to say, in relation to the time as you've been talking about, it seems like time always has two functions. Um, there's one sense in which it mature, things mature over time. Um, and we see that with people growing in wisdom over age. And there's also corruption that happens over time with the flesh. Mm-hmm. I think we see, as we read the scripture, it seems that there is still going to be a maturity. Um, as it says in, in Ephesians, it says, Even when you were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated him, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it seems that will still be that continuing wisdom and that continuing maturing of us in, in wisdom and knowledge of God, but there will no longer be that corruption of the flesh, because our flesh will be changed. Mm-hmm. 
Any more questions before I go to the next point, uh, the change of heaven? So in a way, it would be idolatrous for someone to say, I just want to get to heaven, right? Uh, where it doesn't fall into idolatry is if um, we say, no, we just want just want Christ. And we want to be with Him for eternity. Um, there's a sense in, I think God created us with that longing for being in a place, like with beauty, with... Uh, I think there's nothing wrong with saying I want to be with heaven and I want to be with Christ. Because heaven will fall under the category of create, create, um, creational. Right, 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 right. So God created us where we enjoy His creation. We, we enjoy going on vacations and seeing the Swiss Alps. We enjoy seeing the beautiful waters and God created us. But I think this platonic influence makes us see that this evil, this physical world is not spiritual. To, to, to love the thing that's, you know, that... To see the world as something that's evil, something that's bad. That's play, I think that's Platonic thinking. Where God, in the, Genesis said, He created everything and said, it is good. Because it says that we will see on the goodness of God in the land of the living. We're talking about this world. Like we're, we're still seeing God moving. Right. So it's like to look at it in like, okay, this world is evil and this pointless, is meaningless, is... Is really to um, talk about what God created, even though it's um, it's, it's we live even though we're living in like a sinful world. God works out all things mm-hmm. to give Him glory, so Amen. He still uses things. And I'm done. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next point we're going to look at is the change of heaven. Um, in in the book of Revelations, it says God will create a new heavens. And a new earth. In the in history, there are two. Um, is a debate over what that means. New heaven and new earth. In the 16th century, the uh, Lutheran theologians and the Reformed theologians had a debate on what that actually means. The uh, Lutheran theologians held to a replacement theory, which means that God is going to annihilate this earth, heaven and earth, with fire, destroy it. And ex nihilo, just like he created the world in the beginning, out of nothing, create the new heavens and the new earth. And um, the Reformed theologians believed in renewal, which is God is going to take this very present earth and uh, lift the earth of its curse, purify it with fire, with, uh, with what the curse has done, with all the impurities, and renew it... Um, and make a new heavens and a new earth. Kind of like give it an update. Um, which view do you think is the correct view? Oh, you said the reform one. Really. <laughs> 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 but I've always heard the, re- the replacement. I think mo- most people, or I don't know, that's a generalization, I've heard the replacement. When you think of a new earth, you know, I've never heard that this earth would be purified by fire. When you think fire, you think destroyed. Uh-huh. And then, but then again, made new means you make what's there right, new. Right, right, But yeah, no. Anybody else? There's that part in scripture where it says that the Lord would um, melt the mountains and glass. Is that figurative <clears throat> or uh, symbolic? Language. Oh, I have to study that uh, verse again. There's an, a verse in the Bible where old becomes, uses old and then puts it on new. Yeah. So I think with the renewal, maybe. 
Renewal, okay, yeah. Um, I, I do think the renewal view is the right view. Um, on the initial reading, it may look like the replacement view is uh, the right one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. That's what it says. But when you look at um, the, 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 the Greek word that John uses there for new, um, if he wanted to say that he, God is going to create, get rid of this earth and create a whole new earth, uh, he would. There's a Greek word, and he could have used the word neos, which means new in origin. But John didn't use the word neos. He was used the word kainos, which is new in nature. So, just as our physical bodies, God is not going to give us a completely new body. Just like um, as um, Anthony was saying, he he did. He, he knew that one day that his grave is going to open and he's going to come out and have a glorified body. God's going to take Anthony's very same body and glorify it. So he's not a completely new body Anthony will receive, but his very same body that's in the grave, God's going to transform it and glorify it. And in the same way, God's going to take this very same present earth with all its imperfections, with the curse, and update it, renew it, glorify it, to make the new heavens and the new earth. So, yeah, that's the renewal. Um, that's the uh, change of heaven. Any uh, questions before we go to the next point? Okay, the next point we want to touch on is the activity of heaven. When we think of the activity of heaven, we want to think of the activity in terms of uh, discontinuity and continuity. Um, discontinuity and continuity. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can um, go to Luke 20, verse 34 to 36. So the, the Bible, Jesus, the Jews, um, some theologians of today gives us a simple eschatology, a twofold eschatology. We see in this verse, Jesus spoke of this age, this present time, and the age to come. This age and the age to come. He says, this age, we will be married and given in marriage. But the age to come, we will not marry or be given in marriage. This age, there's death and dying. But the age to come, there's no death and dying. This age, we're natural men. But in the age to come, we'll be resurrected men. In this age, we live in a mixed multitude where there's unbelievers and believers. But in the age to come, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's only believers. Um, what are some other things that we would experience in this age, but we're not experiencing in the age to come? Sorrow. Sorrow, right. Sickness. Correct, sickness. There's no more, yep. Sin, correct. We'll be in a glorified state. Anything else? The war against the, not flesh and blood, but the principalities. Excellent. No more spiritual warfare. Because Satan and his demons, and even unbelievers, will be cast into the lake of fire. 
and that'll be their permanent residence for all of eternity. So there'll be no more waging war against God and the believers. Hmm. Pastor Paul will be running fast. <laughs> running through walls. Yeah. <laughs> no more evangelism. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I read a book years ago. It was entitled, One Thing You Cannot Do in Heaven. We're going to be worshiping in heaven. We're going to be studying God's Word in heaven. We're going to be fellowshipping like we are now in heaven. But the one thing you cannot do in heaven is evangelism. Why? There's no unbelievers no in heaven. <laughs> We're all now. Will there be marriage in heaven? No, Jesus said, uh, in this age you'll be given in marriage, you'll be married and given in marriage, but the age to come there won't be marriage or you'll be given in marriage. Um, Jonathan Edwards has a sermon called Heaven, a World of Love. He says our relationships in heaven is going to be far better than they are on earth because in heaven we're in a glorified state. Where we, our love will be perfectly. We'll love perfectly. Because there will be no sin. That's why. There will be no <laughs> sin. So we will love perfectly. So. Yeah. so the only marriage that exists in heaven is between the Christ and the church. Christ and the church, yeah. But we'll see our, you know, our, our, spouses. our spouses. And we'll, you know, love them. <laughs> we'll love them. <laughs> and, we'll, and we have the capacity even to love them better than we do on this earth. Yes, yes. You won't be able to do any abortion ministry anymore. There's no abortions in heaven, no more sexual exploitation. Amari will be out of, job, out of a job in heaven. There's no, no need for police there. In this age, we definitely need the police. Despite what the liberals say to defund the police, we definitely need police. But in the age to come... <laughs> we'll be defunding the police. <laughs> um, so, yes. How do I like resist me wanting to be in heaven and not having, you know, that desire to not be on earth now that I know about all this good stuff? That's a good question. Um, God, has a, God has given us this small window of time. And, and there's a purpose and a reason that God has us in this small window of time. And what we do now is going to impact eternity. Yes, so, you know, the, the people that we share the gospel to, the people that we love, the we people that every, every small act... Um, is, is, there's, there's, when you understand heaven, there's no 
wasted kindness. There's no way. Everything has meaning. Everything has purpose. So even the doctrines of the new heavens and the new earth could cause, should cause you to become a more faithful, more fruitful, more loving Christian. Yeah, that's why the Bible says, set your minds on things above. Because the more you set your mind on heaven, the more impactful you'll be on earth. Right, everything will pan out when we get to heaven. We'll get all our theology will be corrected. <laughs> yeah, and so there's so we looked at discontinuity, but now we want to look at continuity. What are some things that from this earth to heaven it will be the same? We looked at things that would be different from now to heaven, but some things are the same. God is, yeah, exactly, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the book of Hebrews says. So God is same. He's never going to change. He's immutable. Also, in heaven, we'll retain our ethnicity. Um, in Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, globe, in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Another thing we'll retain is our biological sex. We'll either be, depending on what you're on earth, male or female, you'll be the same in heaven. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If there's been so mixing of ethnicity, which one? You'll be the, the you'll, be? you'll be the same mix. The same mix. <laughs> yeah, you'll be the same. The activities of heaven will have intimate fellowship with God. Theologians call that the beatific vision. In First John, it says we'll see Him face to face. Um, what a glorious time would that be to see Jesus face to face. Um, and you'll have that uh, access to Jesus. I'm sure whatever questions you have, you'll be able to ask Him. Um, that intimate fellowship you'll have. So something to really look forward to. Um, you'll be reunited with your loved ones. Um, imagine to hear their voice again, to see them, to touch them. Could you, could you read a passage or a verse to... Um Verify that, please. Which one? That we be reunited with our loved ones. Reunited with our loved ones? Yeah. We'll all be residences of heaven, so... I know, but I think I've heard we wouldn't know them, or we wouldn't see them. Okay, good, good, okay. That's a good point, Wash. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelations 6. Oh, so, in terms of not knowing them, you remember when Jesus was in his glorified state and when he was on the road to Emmaus, the disciples saw Jesus even in his glorified state and understood he was Jesus. So you're still recognizable in your glorified state. So it's not like I'll be glorified and like, who is that? You'll still be able to re recognize, okay, this is time. Just like they was able to recognize, this is Jesus. And in Revelation 6... Um,
Um, and verse 10, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Master, holy and true? Uh, okay, I'll start from verse 9, Revelation 6, 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the witness which they had maintained. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Master, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was told to them that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Yeah, so you see that in heaven, they even have memory of what happened to them on earth. That's even for like the um, babies, like the aborted babies? Um, I, I would, in terms of the uh, aborted babies, I would take the same position as uh, MacArthur does. He wrote a book, Safe in the Arms of God. And he, he says that uh, when babies die, um, that they'll be instant heaven. And he uses two proof texts. One that says, Jesus you know, said, let all the little children come to me. And you know that passage where David, when his child died, he said, I'll, be, I'll go with them. I'll be with where he is. He used those, those, those two proof texts to say that uh, when children die, they'll get instant heaven. And I think that's a comfort to babies but whether they go to heaven or not we trust in God's um, character that, that says the judge of all the earth would do just so we trust in God whose character is perfect whose actions are perfect and he, whatever he does is just there's also a view where it speaks on that even with the, with the babies and the unborn there's the elect and the non-elect that's true right so you're firm, you don't know. It's right. better to say we do not know. Right, right. And even the case we don't know, we know that whatever the God who is just does Amen. is going to be good, righteous. That's right. Jimmy? I think this, even some diversity of viewpoint, uh, whether babies will go to heaven, for example, like, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, and some uh, Presbyterian theologians who say that the the belie- the babies of believers or will only go to heaven, whereas the b- babies of unbelievers will go to hell. No, we can't say that either. Mm. Calvin believed that uh, when that. an infant dies, it'll go to heaven. That's Calvin's view. But uh, I think the best position is the just of all the earth would do with that what is just. So when does predestination begin? Mm-hmm. Um, just, just something to think about. I mean, just with Esau and Jacob already in the womb, the Lord already yeah, determined who would be who would be His. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God is uh, righteous, and whatever He does is going to be just. So we we tr- we knowing who God is, we trust that He is more wiser than we are. He is more loving than we are. He's more kinder than He are, and all His ways are just and perfect. Um, we're, we'll be uh, praising and worshiping God. We see that the, we'll be enjoying with the angels, worshiping God for all of eternity. We'll learn more about God, like we were uh, saying before. We, we're not going to be omniscient. So for all of eternity, we will not be bored because God is infinite. Amen. He's beautiful. He's glorious. He's majestic. For eternity of eternities, we'll begin to comprehend
His glory, and we will be worshiping Him and serving Him. Um, we'll fellowship with believers that we never met in this um, present world. We'll meet um, the great saints of the ages, all the way from Justin Martyr, Augustine, uh, um, John Owen, Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield, and yeah, Paul, <laughs> Peter. Now imagine you meet Zechariah and Ob Obadiah and you never read their books. That would be a shame. <laughs> yes. So go home and read your Old Testament. <laughs> um, we'll serve God. Um, service is a reward and not a punishment. The more we serve God now, the greater will be our capacity to serve Him in heaven. Uh, God rewards us with more responsibilities and greater abilities. And this should... Motivate us to, uh, if you're faithful over little, God will make you faithful over much. So we'll have the privilege of serving God for all eternity. Um, and this doctrine of the new heavens and the new earth should be a great hope and encouragement for us as living on this earth. Um, this, the Apostle John didn't write the book of Revelation to some armchair theologians that was contemplating all the intricacies of the end times. He was writing to a group that were severely persecuted. Um, during the time of the book of Revelation was written, the emperor was Domitian. And he was persecuting Christians in the harshest ways possible. Some, was fed, some Christians were fed to wild beasts. Some Christians were um, lit as candles on the street on fire. They were speared. They were crucified. Tradition tells us that John himself was boiled in oil and exiled to Patmos. Nero, Nero was an emperor, right? Uh, he, he was. He was an emperor. Yeah. He was also partaking in that too, right? Yeah, he also was uh, persecuting Christians at that time. So we see that Christians were being stoned. Uh, they were. Can you imagine the pain and the agony of losing your loved ones, your children, your spouse, dying because of your faith for Jesus Christ? And in the midst of the most anguish, in the midst of the trauma, in the midst of the Worst trials that a man can ever face. What was the hope that John offered these Christians? The doctrine of the new heavens and the new earth. This um, should be a great encouragement for us. We, we, some of us who you know may face persecution. If the Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if you go out in your faith and become bold and be a witness for Christ. Persecution is inevitable, whether it's physical persecution, slander, someone curses you for your faith in Jesus Christ. And that should not cause you to throw the towel and quit and say, I'm never going out and evangelizing again. Our, if our mind is set on heaven, if our mind is set on the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus says, great will be your rewards in heaven. That should encourage us to go even harder. To, to witness even more, to preach even harder, to not water down our message so we won't be persecuted, but that should cause us to continue to be faithful in preaching the Word of God in an uncompromising way. Uh, if you have physical sickness or some chronic illness, the doctrine of the new heavens and the new earth should encourage you not to give up, not to lose heart, not to be discouraged. Because one day, the, the Bible says that our, this is all light, the Bible says this is light and momentary affliction working for you a weight of glory that's beyond all comprehension. 
the uh, afflictions, the, the persecutions, the suffering, the sickness, the hurt, the pain that we face on this side of life is temporary and visible. But the eternal weight of glory is invisible and eternal. We should not lose sight of that. The, the doctrines of the new heavens and the new earth should cause us to be more faithful in our trials, to persevere even harder, to not give up and be more faithful and fruitful Christians. Um, so that gives us assurance, right? The new heavens and the new earth. But then also the reality of being tempted to self-preservation, right? The fear of death is still real because of the, because of the weakness of the flesh. Right, right. But the new evidence and the new earth should encourage us to be faithful like the apostles who all, their witness, they're all martyrs for their faith. I would imagine like the grace of God appear uh, in a way that that encouraged them to to be prepared to die. Like yeah, that's definitely with, like like what even with Stephen when he was stoned and he saw the heavens open. He saw the heavens open. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure at that moment God gives His saints special grace to be martyrs and suffer and be bold for Jesus Christ at that specific moment. Um. The next point, the next and final point, we looked at the place of heaven, the change of heaven, the activity of heaven. The last point we want to look at now is the residence of heaven. Now, in Revelation 21, 27, I think this is a verse, even if you're a believer, this should send shivers down your spine. It's a, it's a verse, I think, that should cause you to fear and tremble. It says, um, we should not read this verse lightly. Even the, we may have rev, rev, read Revelation a dozen times, but uh, this should every time cause us to stop and pause. It says, "Nothing impure will ever enter it. No, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life." Mm-hmm. Revelation twenty one eight says, "But for the cowardly and unbelieving and the abominable." and murderers, and sexually immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So only those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, will go to heaven. Um, so, I want to... Okay, so the... Uh, two terms I want to put up here is the passive obedience of Christ and the active obedience of Christ. Can someone take a shot and tell me what that means? The passive obedience of Christ. Passive obedience of Christ is when he died on the cross. He was obedient unto death and he paid for the sins of those who believe. Correct, Tanya. That's correct. Uh, the active obedience of Christ is when he fulfilled all the law um, in place of the sin of belief. Excellent. So, Tanya's right on the money. She said the passive obedience of Christ refers to the cross of Christ, um, where He you know, bore God's wrath for the sins of His people. So because of the passive obedience of Christ, we're forgiven of all our sins. Our debt is canceled. But forgiveness alone cannot bring us to heaven. Um, you need positive righteousness. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5.20. Matthew 5.20, it says, 
Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. We need forgiveness of sins to enter heaven. But just as important as the passive obedience of Jesus Christ is the active obedience of Jesus Christ. Like Tanya said, Jesus, the, he, the Bible says He was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus obeyed all the laws of God. That we, he, he, he obeyed at the points we failed. He obeyed all the laws of God. And on the cross, uh, uh, something happens. A double imputation. Where is that in the Bible? In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, And He became sin. Our sins are imputed to Jesus. And He became sin who knew no sin that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So our sins are imputed to Jesus Christ. And His perfect life, His righteousness, is imputed to us. So we need both the passive obedience of Christ and the active obedience of Christ. That's why when the founder of Westminster Seminary, J. Gresham Machum, he was in his later years of dying, he sent a telegram to John Murray, one of his colleagues, one of the professors. And he said, one of his last words in the telegram was, I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ no hope without it. So if you're here today and you hear about the new heavens and the new earth and you're an unbeliever, this should cause you to flee to Jesus Christ because there's no hope in the Pope, there's no hope in Muhammad. The only way you can attain heaven is only through Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer here today, it should cause you to bring as many people as you can to the new heavens and the new earth with you. It should not cause you to keep the gospel to yourself, but to share the gospel to those who are dying and perishing. And it should also call, motivate you to live a more faithful and fruitful life. Amen. Any comments or questions before we close in a word of prayer? Tanya? I want to read the scripture out of First Peter chapter 1, starting at, I think it's verse uh, 6. And it talks about, um, it's written to those who are dispersed because of persecution, mm -hmm. and that they should keep their eyes on the glorification. And it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that was a hope uh, and a, a, a rejoicing. That's what we rejoice in, even though now we, we might go through hard trials and we, probably none of us have gone through the kind of persecution they was going through at that time. But if that time should come, that's what we keep our eyes on, is that amen. new heavens that God is bringing us to. Yeah, amen. That, that, that's important that we fix our gaze on heaven. Because if we don't do that, if we don't fix our gaze on God's word in heaven, when we're in any sort of trial, whether persecution, um, whether we're in sickness, or even if we get a paper cut, our view will be so myopic. We'll say, you know, we'll be in self-pity. Why me? Why am I going through this? Why, why is all this happening to me? Or we'll lose our hope, we'll immediately become discouraged because our eyesight is myopic. We need to view everything through the lens of God's Word and set our gaze on heaven so that way we'll have the strength and encouragement to press on no matter what trauma, pain, suffering we endure in this life. And we know the Christian life is no walk in the park. Jesus said you'll have tribulation in this life despite what Joel Osteen says. <laughs> 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 no.
Any other questions or comments? No, that's a good, um, that's a good exhortation that we were to take every pill captive to the obedience of Christ. That because the flesh is weak and we'll be uh, tempted to doubt, um, we're to not entertain those thoughts, but to remind ourselves of the reality of Scripture and, and God's promises and the new heavens and the new earth. Amen. Yeah, we're instructed in Scripture to set our minds on things above. So that's a good habit to uh, to uh, start doing to set our minds on things above. Any other questions or comments before we close? I have a question. Yes, Pastor Bob. Are we going to be able to cook and eat in the new heavens, new earth? For sure. <laughs> For sure. That's... Without gaining weight. For sure, yeah. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we know even in our glorified bodies, Jesus ate in, uh, in the Gospel of John, in, in His glorified state. He cooked. He cooked as well in His glorified state. So that's... Um, something to really look forward to. In case you do get bad, you can still swim. Okay, we're going to close in a word of prayer. Father God, we just uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, we can gather together and what a privilege you have given us uh, to gather together and hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, no matter... What trials we may go in through, whether it's persecution, uh, sickness, pain, suffering. We thank you, Lord, for in- encouraging us and giving us the hope of a new heavens and a new earth, knowing that, uh, that um, the, what we experience and the pain we experience is all temporary, and you're preparing us an eternal weight of glory, which is all beyond all comparison. Uh, strengthen us, Lord, to be more faithful and loving and fruitful Christians on this side. Uh, we pray, Lord, um, thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us not to lose hope during times of discouragement and pain and sickness, but help us to continue to be um, faithful to hear one day from your lips. Um, well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.